Hey everybody, welcome back to Letterman Row. I am Austin Ward. We got a full house on deck for this practice report brought to you by Buyers Auto. Tim May, Spencer Holbrook, Jeremy Birmingham joining me as we're just a couple days away from Ohio State, Penn State, at least tentatively. Uh, the Big Ten did have its first cancellation. Uh, Wisconsin and Nebraska will not happen. You know, just the, those same Huskers that uh, we saw a couple days ago in Columbus, they were ready to go, but Wisconsin is not. So this brought up another conversation today as the Buckeyes were back on the practice field about making sure that they remain vigilant because this thing can get away in a hurry. And we talked to Justin Fields and, and Sean Wade and, and several other Buckeyes today. They're like, well, this, this doesn't change anything for the Buckeyes because they've already been doing this since June and, and making sacrifices and staying on guard. So I guess, Berm, uh, for the Buckeyes, um, they didn't need this reminder, but the rest of the Big Ten got one. Yeah, I mean, it's not just uh, Wisconsin either. Penn State's numbers are up three times over what they were last week in their positive tests. And you just, it's what we've said over and over, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but you just don't know what is going to happen from week to week. And, you know, if you're a Seinfeld fan, I really feel like Justin Fields and the majority of the Buckeyes uh, should be bubble boys at this point because you just simply can't even risk going anywhere. Because even if you are a young, healthy person that gets the test positive, but you're asymptomatic, you're still out. I mean, you don't have to be sick to be out. And that's, you know, what the big 10, that was sort of the deal with the devil that they made to, uh, to get back on the field. And, and here we are, Graham Mertz from what I've uh, heard and and read is healthy. He's not sick or anything, but he's tested positive. And, and so he's out. And, and, uh, so are six other players at Wisconsin and, and, and Paul Christ. And Tim, we heard about this from Ryan Day yesterday and then with Justin Fields that Vern uh, brought up Graham Mertz. The starting quarterback is the one that drives the engine for everybody, but especially uh, Ohio State when you have a Heisman Trophy candidate. Vern uh, wants him in a bubble. Uh, that's not going to happen, but Ryan Day has taken him, and they've, they've taken some steps, some meetings where – Justin Fields is going to go with Ryan Day, and the rest of the quarterbacks are going to go with Corey Dennis. They are aware that this is a, you know, a delicate situation that has to be managed, especially when it comes to that one guy, that one position that leads your team. Yeah, you know, I mentioned this way back in the summer, uh, that the big fear wasn't that three or four guys might get COVID-19 on your team, but if all three or four of those guys are your quarterbacks, you know, you're kind of screwed. And uh, that's kind of, you know, it appears that's kind of what happened at Wisconsin with uh, Graham Mertz and maybe even the backup quarterback. And so now where do you go? And, yes, I think I think Ryan Day and his staff, and I'm getting this from the parents I've talked to, like Corey, like Corey M. Teague and, uh, and uh, Monica Johnson and, and Ann Wer- Nan Werner that, uh, in fact, you know, they, they seem to have thought through every scenario to a certain extent and sometimes two or three times. And when it comes to staying out of harm's way, staying out of uh, people's ways for more of another term, because that's how you pick up this thing is airborne more than anything else. And uh, it appears they've done a great job, but like, like we've talked about before, you never know where you're going to get it and when you're going to get it. Uh, You just hope you don't get it. And I think they've done a great job so far of not necessarily a bubble, but uh, let's say a big old uh, Chris, uh, circus tent they've been operating in. Yeah, Spencer, I guess I was hoping that we could be done with talking about this after six or seven months, but uh, we, we obviously got one, one uh, quick refresher after just one week in the Big Ten that this is not something that's going to go away and it's going to loom every, over every week of the regular season. 
Yeah, it's going to be really tough to navigate this thing. And, and it, I, I put the blame on the Big Ten for canceling things in August when they had the flexibility to, to reschedule games. Now Wisconsin and, and Nebraska don't even get a play. So, you know, the fault lies a little bit on the Big Ten, but also might lie on, the, on Wisconsin because all of Illinois' players tested negative. Wisconsin wins a game on Friday night, has Saturday off. You don't know – you know, you can't accuse anybody of doing anything, but, you know, you just have to make sure you're being as careful as you possibly can. Because if that thing gets in the building of any of these Big Ten schools, you know, the whole team could be shut down for, for weeks at a time, and the season could be done. So you just, it just – you hate to have to keep, you know, hammering that nail, but, but you kind of have to because it just – it could happen at any point to anybody. The virus doesn't know, you know, who it's infecting. It just knows that it is affected. Hey, Austin, real quick, too. Uh, you know, you remember uh, some people took umbrage when uh, Ryan Day was on a teleconference a couple of weeks ago, and he says you just have to think – Anybody you run into has it, you know, and treat them, treat them like that. And uh, and then, you know, we, we remember on Saturday, Chris Olave, you know, basically his mom and brother came over, came over from California to watch him play, but he wasn't going to be allowed to even hug them after the game. So those are the preventions and the and the reminders that uh, Ryan Day has put in place. Funny is not the word for what I'm about to describe. Interesting or sad or bizarre, I don't know, but it it doesn't. The Big Ten was starting to be praise for their restraint and the way they handled it, bringing back football and, you know, that they were quick to move, but also that they put so much thought into daily testing. Well, you know, now we're back on the other side and we're looking at the idiotic decision not to put in any, any room for postponements or cancellations, which were already inevitable and being proven to the same people that voted in mid-September to bring it back. You'd already seen that happen in other places and you had to be aware that that was going to be what happened. And now it's costing them, you know, maybe one of the most important games in the West. Um, there's no chance that Spencer just talked about this. Nebraska and Wisconsin, suddenly the way the Huskers played on Saturday against Ohio State, at least early on and playing a competitive game, looked like a team that could beat Wisconsin. And now you're trying to deal with weird situations where Nebraska is going to have to hope that Wisconsin loses because of the tiebreaker. They're going to be likely be playing uneven amounts of games just to decide who's going to win the division. And this is, you know, I know that everybody has to sacrifice and nothing was going to be perfect, but this was one that you could see from a mile away and you only needed to put one week in there, Berm. Yeah. And, and it was obvious from the start when the big tens regulations came down about the 21 days, despite the fact that the CDC recommendation is 10, the, the fact that the, the tests that they're using, the daily tests have a 15% false positive rate. So there's all these things built into it that you just had to know that there was going to be a week or two when things got a little bit haywire. And uh, again, it, it's it's hard to look at it from a, a, a 10,000 foot view and be like, okay, the big 10 was going to screw up, but it, every other league has, has had these issues uh, and, and, the SEC, the Big 12, uh, they built in these extra weeks to allow for this to happen. And the Big Ten had a very easy road to, to do the same thing and chose to, to not do that for whatever reason. And um, this is what, what you're going to get. Everybody knew from the minute that the return to play was announced with the percentages that they gave, with the number of uh, tests or positives that they put in, you know, shutting down the program, et cetera. Like it was inevitable this was going to happen to someone. I think it is unfortunate and somewhat shocking that it happens to the Big Ten West's best team and it happens the day after they play their first game. 
And, and I think that that is an indicator really of, of what we've talked about all along. If you are not on top of this every minute of the day, you're putting your entire season at risk. And everything that these players and parents and coaches and administrators fought for is just kind of shoved right out the window. And that's uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is that uh, one of the reasons you've got a 21-day window is number number one – uh, for the uh, quarantine, number two, so they can test you down the road and see see if you have have any indications of myocarditis. And then number three, they work this buffer <laughs> this buffer time for you to get reacclimated to football for a week after you're clear. And uh, that's that to me was the over. I don't know if overkill is the right term. I don't know if you could use any term like that right now to to describe this, but it was definitely over the top. And the other thing is, and you know this berm and you guys, uh, Spence, all, all the four, the five power five conferences aren't all working with the same parameters when it comes to that. So that's how just uh, uh, herky jerky this whole exercise is. All right, who wants to talk about football? What's football? <laughs> all right, a couple of hands. I do. Burn me, were voted down. You don't get to talk about COVID anymore. All right. Oh, darn it. Shifting gears. Back to the real <laughs> practice report brought to you by Byers Auto. Spencer, I'm going to start this with you. So Justin Fields gave his weekly update, and we talked a little bit with his, you know, Ryan Day about this yesterday as well. You look at the rushing totals, um, and last year Penn State was the heaviest workload that he had. We know that Ohio State will do whatever it takes against a very competitive team to win the game. He ran it 15 times. Three of those were sacks. Some of those were scrambles. Um, and so the question was, is this the right amount? Uh, for Justin Fields. And he, again, has said the same thing that he said all along. However many times he needs to rush the football, he'll do it. Yeah, I think the right amount is 52 to 17. That's the right amount. And I think the, the right amount will be the final score on Saturday. So whatever it takes for them to win, you know, the offensive line has his back. If he gets hit somewhere that he's not supposed to, he gets touched somehow that he's not supposed to on the football field, the offensive line is going to take care of him. It, that's not a concern. The offensive line is going to get better. He's probably not going to get have many sacks anymore this year, although Penn State's defensive front is pretty good and it's going to present a challenge. Any way that he can get this football team over the top to beat Clemson is really what this all comes down to. If he has to rush it 37 times, then, then he'll do it to beat Clemson. But I think finding that mix and between making him throw the football away and reminding him of that is something we've talked about this week and scrambling to find a lane to run the football and get – five yards on third and 11, six yards on third and seven. You've, you've got to be delicate with it, but also if you're winning games and he's healthy, that's what's most important. The wrong amount is him going back into the game in the middle of the fourth quarter up 45 to 17 uh, when you've got three quarterbacks who haven't played much at all. The wrong amount is putting him in jeopardy possibly when he doesn't need to be in jeopardy actually on the field because, you know, quarterbacks get hurt as much in the pocket probably as they do running and getting tackled. And uh, and like uh, Spence was talking about, dual threat is the way you describe uh, Justin Fields. You can't have like, okay, you can only run it eight times. I mean, who's keeping that, you know, who's keeping that number? Uh, you run it to be effective, to, to move the chains, et cetera. But you also, once the game is in hand, you let somebody else run it, right? I mean, I think that's the – those are the numbers they need to watch more than just the number of times Justin Fields is running because Justin Fields running with the football is one of the dangerous weapons in college football. Berm, how would you manage it? I mean, I, I think the goal is obviously to keep Justin as clean as possible, but you, you have to understand that he is not just 
an extra weapon for the offense when it comes to getting him out of the pocket or running him. He's also probably the best pure runner with the football on the team. So it's not just that he's a, um, an additional weapon. He's also the best weapon. So um, <laughs> there's certainly a, a matter of, of trying to balance that with his responsibility as the leader and the passer. But um, to me, you go out there and you get a lead and then you play with what you, then you play with the numbers after that point. I mean, if you go back to, uh, Penn State in 2017 or, or 20, 2018, 20, what year was it? 2016. My gosh, it was a long time ago. Um, boy, that was 2016 already. Uh, when, you know, J, JT Barrett was, <laughs> that was running a different the ball. election year. JT yeah. Barrett, JT Barrett running the ball a whole lot at Penn State in the wideout and ends up getting hurt. And it, this changes how he was able to manage the game in the second half and, and put a lot of Penn State to come back in the game and ultimately win that with the, the blocked field goal. Uh, in return for a touchdown. So I think that you need to be conscientious of, of what you got to do to get the lead, understanding that you have not just, you know, uh, one of the best players in college football, but you have the player who separates you from every other team in college football. And, and uh, my goal is to keep him in the pocket, throwing the ball. I wouldn't want to run him if it wasn't such a game changer for the offense at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, number one, number one, like they like they reiterated after the game the other day. Sometimes you got to know when to throw it away, and sometimes you got to know when to punt. And uh, that's the, I think that's the tricky thing when you've got a guy as dangerous as Justin Fields as your quarterback. I think what's interesting about you know just looking at the opener, when I when I left and we looked at that stat sheet before, um, you know, rapid reaction, I I really didn't feel like it had. 15 like I wouldn't have guessed that the carries were that high for him because there were still a number of plays remember there was one rollout kind of flushed out where he he fired a ball into Garrett Wilson where the coverage was still pretty tight so my my thinking is there he's still not scrambling often to run the football now I know that he had the touchdown and spin move but he is generally still looking to get out of the pocket and still throw so it's not as if he desperately wants to keep the ball on his own read or that Ryan Day is dialing up a lot of QB powers to Burns point about the way JT Barrett would run the football for the Buckeyes. Like that's not really what, what they do with Justin Fields. They could certainly do that more if they wanted to um, in, in terms of called runs, but Justin, Justin said it. To, sorry. Justin said it today. Like he, he felt like defenses are slower to him than they were before. And I almost feel like sometimes that sense of knowing how much better he is than everyone else he's playing against uh, it changes the way that he thinks about what I should do on any play. Because to me, it's like watching uh, a grown man playing, you know, uh, yard, you know, backyard football with a bunch of kids at Thanksgiving. Right. Like Thank you, you just, you just kind of feel like you can go, well, you don't, you don't have to even do much because you can just, eh, I'll just run this one. They can't stop me. I'll just do that. And we talked about it yesterday, like third and 18 is nothing to Justin Fields at this point. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's in his mind to, to, to say, yeah, screw it. I need to throw this ball away because why would he, the guy can literally make up any play that he, that goes wrong the next play. And he knows it. And I, I think that confidence is what you want out of your quarterback. Yeah. His so, demeanor on Saturday on last week against Nebraska, there was not one play where I thought he looked frantic, you know, that is huge. This guy, like he talked about, I mean, you know, you go, you go from playing your first game a year ago with blinders on like this to where 
you see everything now. It's like you've got 180 degree radar in front of you. And I think that's what he's dealing, what he's uh, enjoying. And the key is, like you said, just making maybe a couple more decisions to throw the ball away instead of taking a big hit. Spencer, I've got this belief that Ohio State's offensive line is so good that they could win the Joe Moore Award. And a big part of the reason for that is Nick Petit Frere. And the last couple of days, and you know, the champion grades come out, he gets that. He got the start on Saturday. We already knew that was coming. Uh, we talked ad nauseum about his diet, but he had to go out and play and prove why he was out there for that first unit. And started with Josh Myers yesterday. He said, this guy played really, really good. And you can kind of tell that he is operating. You know, Nick spoke on Wednesday with the media that, that his confidence is completely different than when we may have talked to him after Northwestern last year, for example. Well, I think it makes it easier for his confidence when he's playing beside Wyatt Davis. You know, if he was playing on that left side and he was beside Harry Miller and they were side by side as two new guys, you might have more questions. But the fact that he gets to line up beside Wyatt Davis every play and talk to Josh Myers every play if he needs to, that's got to just bolster your confidence. You know, that's your starting spot now. You're not looking over your shoulder because, you know, that was an audition last year against Northwestern. This is not an audition anymore. His audition came all offseason and he proved it. And I think that just feeds into that confidence and allows him to, to be the kind of player that Ohio State wants him to be. And, you know, we're not the greatest evaluators of offensive line talent. I'd like to think I'm getting better at it. But <laughs> we're not the best at evaluating all that. But Josh Myers is. And when Josh Myers gives that kind of praise to a first-time starter, I, I would still consider Nick a first-time starter just because that Northwestern game was just one instance. When yep. he gives that kind of praise in that situation, you know Nick Petit was doing something correct. Yeah, and Spence, don't you agree? He's always fun to talk to. I'm talking about Nick, uh, Nicholas, yeah. uh, Petit Frere. He's he's always fun to talk to. And and by the way, like you said, um, you know the the weight he's gained, uh, thanks to his mom as much as anybody else. Uh, you know, he I think you ought to take Petit out of his uh, out of his name. But uh, that's just me talking. <laughs> he's now Grand Frere. Yeah, Nick no, maybe his nickname Frere. should be not so Nicholas, not so Petit Frere. I think that it's one of those situations where, and we talked about it last week, that the the ceiling of this offensive line with Petit Frere and Harry Miller in it is so much higher than it was a year ago with the guys that they're replacing. But it also helps for Nick to have had now 10 months of Paris Johnson pushing him and, and saying, you know, that, that starting spot is not guaranteed just because you were the number one ranked offensive tackle in the country coming out of high school and you've waited your turn. Like you still had to go out there and earn it. And I think that, for Nick, seeing Paris come in the way he did and in the shape that he was in uh, probably helped keep him a little bit more motivated when he was at home tearing down gutters on the side of his parents' house. Well, yeah, whatever, that, happened to, whatever happened to Tate Martell, by the way? But go ahead. Uh, who knows? Uh, that um, Paris Johnson factor, Firm is the exact same thing where Nick petit Frere was doing that for Brandon Bowen and Harry Miller was doing that for Jonah Jackson last year. That, that We talk about it a lot, and it's not, it almost becomes cliche with – how important the depth is and the quality depth that the Buckeyes recruit. But, you know, it's not a slight when we talk about this offensive line potentially having a higher ceiling than the one before. It's the same way we've talked about Larry Johnson and the Rushman, that these guys are just building off of what came before them. So Jonah Jackson and Brandon Bowen were great players and valuable. That team didn't lose a game all the way up until the Fiesta Bowl, which they still did enough to win it. And and Nick Petit-Frere couldn't get into that starting lineup because other guys were playing – at a high level. So that's just, that's sort of the state of where this program is that um, I know it's, 
there are people that wanted him on Nick on the field earlier because of his five-star recruiting ranking and the lofty expectations, but there's also really good veteran players on this team and they're getting pushed and then they take the, the, you know, the torch from there. Yeah. That's what I've always talked about. You know, many times uh, as we do these things that what sets Ohio state, Alabama and Clemson apart is they've got these guys in their program. They're like I said, a lot, a lot of people keep looking at the door. Who's coming through the door. They've got people who've been inside the building for two and three, sometimes four years who are rising, who are pretty well, you know, thought of when they first came in. And now it's, I'm not going to say it's their turn because that's never, that's the reason I made that little shot about Tate Martell, you know, leaving instead of competing uh, with uh, Justin Fields. But, uh, and I, I know it went over some people's heads, but that's, that's okay. Uh, but the bottom line is, yeah, that's what separates these big time programs from most others across the country. Somebody told me a few years ago that it's great if you're, if you're signing five-star offensive linemen, it's great for your program. It's bad for your program if they have to play as freshmen. And I think I think that um, what Ohio State has been able to do the last few years, and it it was Ryan Day's number one point of emphasis when he took over as the head coach from Urban Meyer, was to restock the offensive line room, and they've done a great job with that. And now we'll find out on Saturday if that that upside uh, can play against the two of the best defensive ends that they're going to see all year long. And I'm glad that Letterman Rowe has been around. I'll let you jump in, Spencer, but I just want to make sure, since Tim brought it up, that we've been in business long enough and covered this team long enough that we no longer need the Tate Martell counter for Burn. Like, that's just no longer part of our coverage. Yeah, that's yeah. sweet, actually. We lost it. We lost it. All right, Spencer, bring us home. This offensive line thing is interesting to me because every time we talk about this offensive line, you know, sometimes we bring it up. Sometimes we forget to talk about it. Greg Stadrall was challenged by Ryan Day, you know, the offensive line needs to be a room that is that is competing at every level. And I think you're going to look back at this, the 2019 offensive line and say, those guys were backups on that team. You know, when we look back at this team five years from now, as those guys were backups on the team, Harry Miller, Nicholas petit Frere, those guys are starting now in the NFL. Like this room is so complete that, that the, the second team guys are competing for, for playing time. Paris Johnson comes in right when he gets on the campus, he's competing for a starting job. And that's not a testament to the weakness of the room. It just shows how good he is. He's doing that despite how good the room is. I just think Greg Stadrawa deserves a ton of credit for what the offensive line looks like. I know there's a ton of talent there, but I, I think we kind of short sell him sometimes in the job he's done to restock it and, and the entire offensive staff to recruit the kind of players that they do to restock the offensive line. Yeah, a great example. I mean, yeah, a great example was what was Jack Miller supposed to do, just fall down last week, you know? I mean, uh, he had green space ahead of him with the backup line in there, so he took advantage of it. Yeah, I don't care what you say, Spencer. I really think that Stud's going to have a Joe Moore Award this year on his shelf, so um, (laughs) I'm a a believer. I'm surprised that you don't think that, but um, Joe Moore. maybe you'll get there. Um, Great point there about Stud. From Spencer Holbrook, great stuff as always from Jeremy Birmingham and Tim May. I am Austin Ward. This has been a Buyer's Auto Practice Report just a couple days away uh, to hit the road for the Buckeyes to Penn State. Still on as of now. Uh, Buckeyes seem to be in great shape. So for primetime showdown in the Big Ten East, we're getting ready, gearing up our coverage at Letterman Road for that. Appreciate these guys hanging out with me right here. Uh, Stay with us at LettermanRow.com all year for full coverage of the Buckeyes. We'll see you there.